This morning, do you feel like giving up? This morning, do you feel discouraged? Maybe you look at the pressures in your life, the struggles that we're all going through, and you just think it seems too much. You just can't keep going. Maybe you feel as a Christian, it's just too hard. There's too few of us. You feel on your own in your family or in your workplace. You feel outnumbered. Maybe you look at the church and the future of the church, not just Peniel, but the church all over the country and think, well, where are we going? How can we stand? There's so much hostility towards Christianity and to stand up and preach the Bible and believe what the Bible says seems so hard. We can feel intimidated. We can feel shaken. And again, we can feel like giving up. Well, God's message to us today comes in that verse at the end of our passage, verse 13. Do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. So where can we find the courage to keep going? When we feel like giving up, when we think there's no hope, where can we find the courage to keep going? Well, this passage is going to help us and why Paul's writing it and how Paul writes it will help us with that. Remember, as I mentioned earlier, this is a letter written to real Christians in the first century. Paul went to Ephesus and shared the gospel with them. They heard the gospel, they trusted and they believed and a group of people became the church there. It could be by this time there's a few groups of smaller churches and Paul's writing to them. And he, they were living in Ephesus, a real place with real jobs, with real struggles and pressures. And we can sometimes look back at the early church and think, oh, you know, there was loads of Christians. It was easy. But it would have been really hard to be a Christian in Ephesus with everybody coming from all over the world to worship at this amazing-looking temple, they would have felt small. They were aware of the growing pressures of, um, of the leader Nero coming to power and the persecution that could be coming. And then the one who shared the gospel with them is now in prison. Can you imagine what they're thinking? Are we next? If Paul's in prison and we believe the same thing, then surely being here, we're next, aren't we? So Paul wants to help them. And he wants them to see why they can keep going, why they can uh, keep persevering, why they don't have to lose heart. Paul is in prison and he is still trusting God. And he is still able to say this, look, keep going. So four reasons this morning from these verses why we can keep going, why we don't need to lose heart. The first is this, God is in control. In your circumstance, in your situation, God is in control. Now, a word that comes up as we read through that passage a few times is the word mystery. I don't know if you noticed that as we read it. And perhaps when we think of mystery, we think of Poirot or um, Murder, She Wrote, or I need to think of more... Um, modern ones than that, don't I really? But you know, detective programs on TV where you don't know what's happening and you're kind of trying to work it out and the, the truth is hidden. Well, the meaning of the word mystery here is different to that. The meaning of the word mystery here is something that has been revealed, something that was hidden but is now known. This mystery is now known. And look what verse 3 tells us. The mystery was made known to me by revelation, Paul says. God has shown me this mystery. Something in verse 5, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, has now been revealed 
to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Something that was hidden is now revealed, Paul says. I've been shown what it is, this mystery. Well, you know, what is it? You know, what is the big reveal? Well, we don't have to guess. Verse 6, Paul tells us, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What's this mystery? Gentiles, that is people who aren't Jews, and now part of the same body, part of the same group of people. They are partakers now in the promises that were made to Israel. Gentiles, non-Jews, are now partakers in that promise, and they are united together, Jew and Gentile, in one group, in one body. Now, why is that such a big deal? Well, remember, in the Old Testament, God's people, Israel, knew that they were part of God's plan to bring hope to the world. They knew that the Messiah was going to come, and the Messiah wasn't just a Messiah for them, but a Messiah to bless all nations. But in the Old Testament, if you wanted to know that promise or wanted to um, experience that, you had to become a Jew. You had to go to a particular place. You had to um, take part in all the ceremonies and in all the feasts. You had to become a Jew to know the blessing. But Paul is saying, but the mystery has now been revealed. A mystery that they didn't quite understand fully back then. The Gentiles can now be saved wherever they are. They don't have to travel to a city anymore. They don't have to go and take part in certain ceremonies at a certain time of year. People can be saved at any time, in any moment, wherever they are, because of the work of Jesus on the cross. So now Jew and Gentile are united together in this glorious mystery that has been revealed. That's what Paul is getting at. This mystery wasn't known to other generations. They didn't grasp just how wide this was going to be. It's wider than they realised. This was a, a, a message they didn't know and didn't quite understand fully, but Paul says, look at what this means. The mystery is now revealed. And Paul's job, he has been commissioned. Uh, verse 2, he has been given this stewardship of God's grace uh, to make known this mystery. I want to tell everybody. Jews and Gentiles need to hear about Jesus. They need to hear about this great news that anybody is welcome to come. It is for all and for everybody. Now, how does this help us this morning? There's lots of ways we could look at that, but the way I want us to focus just for a moment is this. The church in Ephesus was small. They were outnumbered. They were dotted around the city, maybe wondering, um, how are we going to keep going when there's so few of us? They were in the middle of the Roman Empire. Roman Empire was this vast, powerful machine that was um, taking over the world. Nero's power was growing. He was the Roman emperor, uh, coming to be the Roman emperor. But also in Ephesus was this temple, as I said. People worshipping false idols. Uh, this queen of heaven, that they thought. Intimidating, vast temple to look at every day, a reminder of how small they felt. But what is Paul saying? There's an unfolding mystery you need to hear about. And this mystery is verse 11. If we just jump there to see what it says. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realised in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is God's plan. His plan has always been to have a wide and open welcome for all through the Saviour, Jesus Christ. That's always been God's plan. And he has brought it to pass. He used God's people, the Israelites, to bring forth the promised one. And then the doors are wide open. It says, come, anyone can come. 
So do you see, God has brought this plan to completion. He has controlled the whole of history to this point to bring Jesus the Messiah. Nothing has taken him by surprise. Nothing has caught him off guard. And when you look at how he did that and how Jesus came and he died, there were points in his life where you thought, it's gone wrong. When he was arrested, when he was beaten, when he was whipped, when he was mocked, it's gone wrong, hasn't it, this plan? But no, even in the darkness, that was part of God's plan. He was working it all through. Nothing caught God off guard. God will bring his plan to completion. The Roman Empire, which looked so intimidating in the first century, where is it now? It's in ruins. You can go and see and visit ruins of that empire. But what about the Church of Christ? It's still going and growing all over the world. We can sometimes think just because the church isn't flourishing in this country, that that's what it's like all over the world. But in parts of the world, as we were hearing last week, the fastest growing church, one of the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. We see parts of Africa and South America where the church is exploding and people are becoming Christians all the time. God's kingdom is growing. So don't lose heart. We can sometimes feel intimidated by the ideologies and the pressures we feel around us. But this morning, God wants to remind us, don't lose heart. I'm on the throne. I'm still bringing through this plan. See, what is God's big plan? Well, we see in um, chapter 1, verse 11, don't we, that God wants to bring all things together under Christ. That's where things are headed. And God is on the throne, and he will accomplish it. Job 42 says this, I know that you can do anything, and no plan of yours can be thwarted. Bring that into your life right now? What is happening in your life that you are confused by? Trials and suffering, questions, pain, heartache. God isn't finished with you. He's not finished, the story isn't over. We can have hope because he is in control. Let's bring that truth into our lives and work it through and say, Lord, help me to believe that when it's hard to believe. Don't lose heart god is in control the second thing we see is this don't lose heart because the gospel is amazing don't lose heart because the gospel is amazing verse one for this reason i paul a prisoner for christ jesus on behalf of the gentiles he's saying this i'm in prison because i'm sharing the gospel i'm in prison because i've got this message to share and this message um, is glorious he's not preaching because of anything good in him he says that, doesn't he, in verse 7? Um, I've had this by God's gift. You see that in verse 7? Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Or just in case we missed it, verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I, I'm the least, I'm the bottom of the pile, he says. I'm a nobody. But I've been given this gift, this message, and I want to share it. And I'm going to share it with those all around it. I want to share the unsearchable riches, the beauty, the glory of Christ. Look what verse 9 tells us. He says, and I want to bring, to bring light for everyone. We're in darkness and Jesus is the light. He is our hope. And so he wants to get, he said, I get to tell everybody for this, about this light that is to shine for everybody. Now again, this isn't something that Paul has made up. This is something that has been given to him. The message of the Bible isn't something that man has made up. We don't think, oh, I know, this would be a good idea to share. No, this is God's plan and God's message. It's a gift from him. 
and all of this message all of this mystery you know how can now we trust in god and not have to travel across the world to be in that temple at that time of day or that time of year and do this sacrifice or that? why now is it wide open because of jesus christ because of the unsearchable riches of jesus it all comes together in him and paul says i've been given this gift to tell people about jesus Paul's job is to marvel in Christ, to think, wow, he's a great saviour. And when we stop and think, when's the last time we stopped and really thought about how great Jesus is? He's the eternal Son of God, the one who's always been. He's, he wasn't created, he's always existed, always enjoyed the love of the Father and loved the Father in return. He's the one, we're told in the Bible, who created all things. He was there at the beginning, the Word uh, was with God. He was the one in whom all things hold together. Why is it that this world keeps spinning round? Why is it that the atoms don't just fly apart? Why is it? The Bible says Jesus holds everything together. Not only does he hold things all together, he is the reason behind everything existing. The purpose is for him. He's the one who defines who we are. He's the one we find our identity in. Nowhere else. He is what it's all about. He is all-powerful. He is all loving. He is God the Son, and God the Son humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. He left the glory of heaven, where he was the center of praise, where angels marveled and rejoiced in him, and he came down to earth and became a nobody. If he'd have walked past you in the street, you wouldn't have turned to look at him. He gave up his glory, he gave up that power, and, and came to this world. He came to do that so that we could be rescued. He died on the cross, and after bearing the punishment for our sin and rebellion, three days later, he rose again. The unsearchable riches of Christ. He didn't stay dead, but rose again, and now he is the God-man seated in heaven. There is a, a human being in heaven who knows what it's like to be here, to go through the struggles you're going through, to go through the worries and the concerns. He's been there. This is the unsearchable riches of Christ. He's the king of all kings. He's our sympathetic high priest. He is the light of the world. He is the good shepherd. He is the one who lives to intercede for us. He is gentle and lowly in heart and invites us to come. He wants us to realize that he loves us and he pursues us like that shepherd coming after the lost sheep. He won't give up on you. He keeps coming, keeps looking. He's knocking on the door saying, let open your heart to me. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He won't let you go. These are the unsearchable riches of Christ, and we are just scratching the surface. This is our Savior. And Paul says, I'm a nobody, but I've been given something, and it is a wonderful message. So don't lose heart. Look at how great Jesus is. Look at what he's done for you. Look at all he means for you. He's done it, and he won't let you go. So one commentator put it, the riches of Christ they say are unsearchable, inexplorable, untraceable, unfathomable, inexhaustible, illimitable, inscrutable, and incalculable. I don't know what half they mean, but they mean he's amazing. In 1521, a man called Ferdinand Magellan um, went, he was in the, one of the ships that was one of the first to circumnavigate, go around the globe, and he wanted to find out how deep the Pacific Ocean was. So what he did was he tied lots of, um, lots of uh, lines together, and he attached them to a cannonball, and he, he just kind of kept dropping the cannonball down. 
and he lowered the cannonball until the line ran out. So he had 400 fathom is you know lengths they use in in um, nautical terms, isn't it? In the sea, so he had 400 fathoms, and they'd they'd run out. And so what did he say? Well, the Pacific Ocean is unfathomable. It's too deep. We can't measure it. And then when we talk about Jesus, we're saying Jesus' love and his greatness is unfathomable. We can never get to the bottom of it. If you think you know all there is to know about Jesus, please know this morning you don't. There is so much more for us to learn. It's like when you, as you grow as a Christian, it's like you go into a room and you think you get to know it, and then you realize there's a door, and you push the door and there's even bigger room, and you get to know that bigger room, and then you realize there's another door, and you push it and it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and Christ is all glorious, and there's no, not enough rooms. The rooms keep on going for eternity. There is so much more to know and experience and enjoy of Jesus. He is the unsearchable one, unsearchable riches. So why, how does that help us to keep going? Well, can you see, as we think on who Jesus is, suddenly it puts everything else in perspective. He's the one who is all-powerful and almighty. He's not going to let you go. He is the one who has saved you and rescued you. He will look after you and keep you going till the end. It is a message that is worth giving up everything for because it is the only hope we have. The Son of God, the one creator, came to this world for this purpose. Don't give up on him. He won't give up on you. This is our saviour. He's done it. He's completed it. He's finished it. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, can you see just how, just something of what Jesus has done for you? He loves you. He's done all this so you can trust in him and be safe. Here's the safest place on earth, trusting in Jesus. Trust in him. Turn to him today. The unsearchable riches. So don't lose heart. God is in control. The gospel is amazing. And the third one is, might be a surprise to us. Don't lose heart. Why? I need to remember the church. Remember the church. So the church, as we see here, is God's gift to help us to keep going. Paul wants to get this message out. He says, look, I've got this glorious mystery that you can, anybody can trust in Jesus and know him. Look what verse 10 shows us. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What's he talking about there? Well, how is this message, this glorious mystery revealed? How is it seen? Well, it's made known through, verse 10, the church. The church is God's vehicle for declaring this message of hope, this message of who Jesus is and what he's all about. Remember Ephesians 1 verse 8, as I mentioned earlier, tells us that the great plan is that Jesus is going to bring all things together. Or all things will come together under Jesus, under Christ. Now remember, when God made the world, he made it perfect. Everything was together. But then we decided we knew what was best. We said, God, I'm going to do this my way. And we've all done that ever since. And as a result, the world falls apart relationships fall apart, friendships fall apart, marriages fall apart, nations fall apart, wars happen, there's divisions all around, everything is falling apart relationally. Our bodies fall apart, our health deteriorates, it's all broken, it's all fallen apart and Jesus' big goal is to say one day he's going to bring everything back together as it's meant to be. All, no more sin, no more struggling, no more sickness, no more death, no more 
dying. No more pain. All gone because Jesus is going to bring it all together. That's the goal. So God's plan is to use the church as a signpost to that plan. A church is, as we've seen a couple of weeks ago, is to be a taster of heaven. Church is to be a place where the division that we feel everywhere else is gone and there should be a united um, group of people where we find hope in Christ and people from every background. All the struggles that we see around us need to be here. We're all struggling. All the, all the words, every background, every nation, all welcome in the church. We're to be a taste and a glimpse of God's ultimate plan. Now, when you hear that, you think, well, that isn't the case, is it? Churches, as we've seen, churches can end up really making a mess of things. Churches, instead of being united, can be divided. There can be fights and squabbles. What's wrong there? Well, we need to realise that Paul knew this was the case. If you read the letter to the uh, Corinthians, he is writing to a church there that is kind of 15 years after, um, after Jesus rose again. So it's very early. And there you see the church is a mess. There's squabbles and uh, fights and immorality all over the place in the church. And Paul writes to them. So Paul hasn't got this ideal view of church that, you know, is unrealistic. He's saying, no, 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 still God's plan is to use the church in all its faults and failures to show a glimpse of his ultimate plan for everything. So we're to show the world. People are to see that. But notice in this verse, there's somebody else watching. We're an audience. We have another audience. Did you see that in verse 10? This manifold, this wisdom is to be shown and to be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What is he talking about there? We know that phrase is used for the realm that we don't see. The Bible teaches on this. It doesn't, do, it doesn't spend loads of time on it, but it tells us there is a realm that we can't see. A, a realm of angels, demons, a spiritual realm. And we don't think about it too much, and as I said, the Bible doesn't say loads about it. The danger is we get obsessed with it and only think about that, or the other danger is we ignore it. But here, Paul says, look, remember, God has given the church, has made the church, so that the angels and demons will see the, the wisdom of God. Strange, isn't it, to think that? The church's role is to reveal to the unseen realm the wisdom of God and the gospel of God. In 1 Peter, we're told that the angels long to look into the gospel. They, don't, they, they want to know more. They don't understand this, this amazing news that God would forgive us for rebelling, even though we've rebelled against him. They just want to keep looking. How is this so? How would God forgive? But he does. It's to show the wisdom of God. Now, when, what difference does that make in our life if we're aware that there's another realm watching? I think instantly it takes us onto another level of seriousness about stuff in church, doesn't it? This isn't something small and insignificant. This isn't just a, a social club. What we do and how we act and how we are, the angels and demons are watching. The other realm is aware. Now, think of that. When you serve others in church, you do something kind for somebody. You just have somebody on your heart and you pray for them, when you encourage them, you write them a note, you take them a meal, you give flowers, whatever it might be, that act of love, nobody else has seen. But there an audience, another audience has seen. There's a realm that's watching. And that love that is shown to each other will make the angels ponder and wonder. 
and we'll really get the demons wound up. When you reach out to somebody who doesn't know Jesus and you are trying to be courageous and you are fearful, but you still do it anyway, there's another realm watching. When you do something and nobody thanks you and nobody seems to notice, there's another realm watching. When you say sorry and it's hard, there's another realm watching and are amazed. It reveals the wisdom of God. So don't lose heart because we're part of the church. This, this wisdom of God revealed, this picture of heaven, this t- taste of heaven in all our faults and failures. And remember, there's another audience. I'm going to come to a moment how that's another encouragement for us. But don't lose heart. God is in control. Don't lose heart. The gospel is amazing. Don't lose heart. Remember the church. And the last thing is this. Don't lose heart because there is hope in suffering. There is hope in suffering. Now, the start of this passage we see, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he wants to explain why he's in prison. This is because of this mystery, um, because of the wisdom of God in, in the church. But then he ends, doesn't he, on verse 13. He says, so I ask you, don't lose heart over what I'm suffering. Here is Paul, and he is suffering. But he is not giving up. He is not saying, this is it. He's not crushed by suffering. So he knows suffering isn't pointless. He knows that it's not worthless. He knows that God has a purpose and a plan. Now, as if you're a Christian here this morning, you will know one of the hardest questions that, that people ask us is this. How can God allow suffering? How can he? And it's a really hard question to answer, isn't it? And there is no kind of pat answer, no magic bullet. I think at those times, especially if the other person is suffering and struggling, we just need to sit and and weep with those who weep. But one of the reasons that people push God out of their lives is they say, I want to know why God can allow suffering. I've got this why. Why is this happening to me? And if there's a God, then then he can't be real. So they push God out. But the problem is we still have the the question why, don't we? Even if God is removed, we're still asking, why is this happening? But if we bring God into the equation, into the question, then there is hope that there is a purpose for the suffering. Without God, there's no purpose. Without God, it is just random accident. But with God, there could be a greater meaning to the struggles we go through. Paul knows there will be struggles. He is struggling himself. He is in prison, but he knows there's a purpose. And when he brings that into mind, God is in control, our first point today, this isn't telling us that there won't be pain but it's telling us there is a plan. It's not telling us there won't be pain, but he's telling us there is a plan. But also, I just want to revisit verse 10 quickly, just to see how there is deep comfort in this. Um, Many of you will know, uh, I've heard about Johnny Erickson. Uh, She is a quadriplegic, so she has um, no movement from her neck down. And she's been in that condition since she was 17. She uh, was in a diving accident, dived into a pool that she thought was deeper, and she uh, had the accident. So in those early years, she was struggling with her faith and trusting in God with all of this happening to her from 17. And while she was in hospital, there was another girl in the hospital with her called Denise Walters. And Denise had been a happy, popular 17-year-old, and one day in school, she just fell over, going up some steps, and she fell, her legs were really weak. By the end of the day, she could hardly walk. She went home, went to bed, And by the time she woke up uh, for dinner, 
she was paralyzed from the waist down. And it wasn't long until she too was paralyzed from the neck down. And then she went blind. All of those things happening in quick succession. She had a rare form of um, multiple sclerosis. And she was lying motionless in bed in the same hospital as Johnny. She couldn't move, she couldn't see, she could barely talk. And it was difficult to have any kind of conversation with her, so some friends would come in and try and talk to her, but because it was such hard work, they eventually stopped coming. So the only person who would come would be her mother. And every night her mum would come in and read the Bible with her, pray with her, um, with her daughter who she knew was dying. And there in that lonely hospital bed, she lay for eight years. And then she died. When Johnny heard that Denise had died, she was um, struggling with it with her friends. She said, I don't get it. How could God allow that to happen? What, you know, her question was, how could a person like Denise still love Jesus and never be complaining in, in spite of such what seemed like meaningless suffering? Do you know what verse one of her friends picked out? It was Ephesians 3.10. And they read it. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And then suddenly, Johnny says, she got it. She understood. She saw the world differently. See, the secular worldview says that there's only this world here and now. This is all there is, what people see. But the Bible says, no, there's another realm, a supernatural realm. So someone was watching her in that lonely place in the hotel, in the hotel, in the hospital. A great many someone's. That's how she put it. There were a great many someone's watching her. The angels witnessed Denise's uncomplaining faith and gave glory to her saviour. The demons watched her faith and to, waited for her faith to waver, for her to struggle, ready to mock Jesus, but they couldn't because she kept going. And most of all, Denise's saviour watched with grace-filled eyes and promised to give her a new body one day in the new heaven and the new earth. Johnny thought, um, Johnny was, lived in that, and knew that dreadful accident, but she was given hope there. And that verse she keeps coming back to. There's another realm watching. So in our suffering, it's not pointless. It's not purposeless. What you're going through, maybe nobody else knows. There's another realm watching. And you are teaching them, teaching the angels, rebuking the demons in the way we live. There's a purpose for everything. It means that no suffering is pointless. The last thing to see is this. Paul was living out something, wasn't he? Remember, he cannot lose heart because his suffering, uh, we need to remember there is hope in suffering. Paul was, um, in verse 13, he says, look, I'm suffering for you. Don't lose heart. I'm suffering for you, for your glory. Now, suffering and glory in our world don't seem to go together. Suffering seems like the opposite of glory, doesn't it? But in the Bible, they go hand in hand. Think of that hymn we sing, Hark the Herald. Mild he lay his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. He laid his glory by, Jesus, so that we could know life. Jesus suffered for our glory. He lost his glory so we could gain his. And Paul was living that out. He says, don't worry about me. I am suffering, but I know this is for your glory. And he was showing them in that just what Christ did for us. So when we grasp what Christ has done for us to guarantee our eternity, it means there is hope in suffering. 
It means that suffering isn't pointless. It means that whatever comes into our life is coming through the filter of God's grace and kindness and is for ultimately our good. So when that pressure comes on us, it is not pointless. As one writer puts it, like coal under pressure, what does coal under pressure become? It becomes a diamond. And in the same way, when a Christian is put through the pressure of suffering, it doesn't crush us, but makes us into something more beautiful. He changes us, he uses it for his good purposes. And when we grasp that Jesus died to secure my eternity, then we realize that I'm safe with him. This, point, this suffering isn't pointless and there is hope in the midst of it. And then when we see that, we can serve others for their glory because Jesus did the same for us. So this morning, I don't know how you're feeling. Maybe you feel like giving up. Hear again those words from God, from his word. Don't lose heart this morning. Keep going because God is in control. The gospel is amazing. There's a purpose to the church and there is hope in the midst of suffering. Let's pray together as we pray that God would help us to live those truths out. Father, we ask that today you would help those who are struggling, help those who feel like giving up to not lose heart. We thank you for the glorious hope of Jesus and the help he brings. And we ask that you would grant us to know deep in our heart a peace that passes all human understanding. We need you, Lord. We are weak, but you are strong. Help us now, Lord, to know you near. And we pray, Lord, for anyone here who doesn't know, them, know you yet, please, Lord, would they turn to you and know that you, they can be safe with you, that you can guide them from now until the end of this life into the new life and the forever life with you in a new uh, heavens and a new earth. Please help us, Lord, to do this for your glory's sake, we pray.